Thanks for joining us for this Prima podcast. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. National Cybersecurity Awareness Month was designed to increase awareness regarding the significance of cybersecurity, as well as provide the necessary resources to ensure people are safe and secure online. To commemorate the 15th anniversary of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, Prima created a National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Each week during the month of October, Prima will feature podcasts that share important information about cybersecurity. On this podcast, Tom Draper, the technology and cyber practice leader at Arthur J. Gallagher, will discuss ransomware. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, a member of Prima's education and training team. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Tom, thank you for being a part of the Cybersecurity Podcast Series. What public sector ransomware claims have we seen in 2018? I think 2018 has really been the year of public sector ransomware incidents. If we look back historically, the bulk of the major entities to report a ransomware incident have been major healthcare or large corporate enterprises such as Maersk, WPP, or the big law firm DLA Piper when they were impacted by the big WannaCry ransomware extortion events several years ago. 2018, however, saw a concerted, focused attack on uh, especially U.S. healthcare and local government entities from a variant known as SAMSAM. Now, the group responsible for this actually started the process in 2016 with the release of the first variant. And their key objective was to take down through a ransomware process where they could then extort monies out of public sector entities looking to get their systems back. And since 2016, we estimate those individuals have earned over $900,000 from extorting enterprises and public sector teams. In 2018, we saw this peak. And from January, there was a substantial number of municipalities, such as Farmington, New Mexico, and then Davidson County, North Carolina, being impacted by a SAMSAM variant. The Colorado Department of Transportation was hit twice, with over 2,000 systems shut down. Various colleges and healthcare entities up and down the um, both seaboards were hit over the next couple of months. But the point that really saw the emergence of the public sector ransomware event was a March attack on the city of Atlanta. The incident, again, a Samsung variant, knocked out services such as warrant issues, water requests, new inmate processing, court fee payments, and online bill pay programs across multiple city departments. To unlock the city systems and data, the creators behind SamSam demanded $51,000 in Bitcoin, which the city refused to pay. The city would ultimately incur over $2.7 million in direct costs relating to restoration of these services, bringing in forensic teams, and notifying impacted individuals of the event. Following the incident, and following an overhaul of their security systems, the city of Atlanta is looking to spend over $14.3 million in addition to this. So for us, 2018 has started very aggressively from a ransomware perspective, and it's something we expect to continue throughout the rest of the year. So is ransomware getting worse? So I think we've seen three key reasons why there's been such an increase in the, not only the, the levels of awareness of ransomware, 
but the actual incidents that are occurring. Firstly, going back several years now, the simple availability of cryptocurrency has enabled the payment of these ransoms to actually occur. Previously, it was very hard for cyber criminals, if they were extorting entities, public sector teams, to get the money into their hands. This involved having to use money laundering, mules, and various banking get-arounds that were concerning. The wide proliferation of cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin and other altcoins, however, enabled them to access these funds very easily. And in fact, the most successful ransomware attacks and variants include a very simple link on how to acquire Bitcoin and how to pay the money to the cyber criminals in the various countries that they're operating out of. So firstly, the availability of a method of exchange means that this attack vector is now monetized and easy revenue source for any cyber criminal or criminal organization. Secondly, we've seen a proliferation in ransomware as a service. And by that, we mean hackers are generally purchasing these type of solutions online with no or limited expertise actually in ransomware or, or hacking. So therefore, for any criminal organization, cyber criminal organization, looking to increase their revenue and their earnings, they're able to purchase this online just as you would any other form of software. What this means is it's taken ransomware from being necessarily just a targeted attack at an individual entity to being a complete, wide, almost carpet bombing effect. It is almost the new Nigerian 419 email. Um, no longer are you getting emails from Nigerian princes looking to take money out of the country. Now what you'll find is that ransomware is a numbers game for these criminals. For the most part, they'll try to affect as many systems as possible. And if a fraction of them pay, it's pure profit. As an example, a recent semantic report, the cost of one of these ransomware as a service toolkits is about 450 US dollars, while the average ransom price in 2017 was $522. So simply one success, you paid the cost of the ransomware as a service, but also made profit. I think finally, the biggest change we're now seeing is the change in nature of ransomware. So not only are we seeing targeted attacks against uh, large weaknesses in big companies and big enterprises, we're also seeing a change in the end result. Up to this point, a number of the ransomware attacks were focused on extortion. They wanted to make money. We're now also seeing a dangerous increase in the amount of destructorware, where there is no need for money, there's no gain, there's simply destruction of the data. And that means ultimately we're not in negotiations with these entities. We're simply looking at rebuilding companies and rebuilding public sector clients. How can we prevent ransomware? Historically, there has been a key focus in a number of areas to help prevent or at least minimize ransomware. Step one has been focusing on employee training, making sure employees are aware of what a phishing email could look like, and making sure that employees are not clicking on unusual links, downloading programs or downloading files from addresses they don't recognize. However, the complexity and the growth of ransomware as a service means this is being uh, rapidly countered by the criminals. Firstly, several of the major malware variants don't actually require employees to either click on a link or the sending of any form of email in that traditional format. So SamSam, the entity and the variant that took down Atlanta and the various other entities as mentioned on this podcast earlier, that's actually attacked weak servers and therefore requires no opening by the individual. Secondly, there's always been a focus on backups and having an effective backup in place and enable you to restart as an uh, entity very quickly. But as we've seen with the various entities and the impacts this year, that's not as simple as it, as it might seem. If we consider our backups and how we normally store information on our 
our normal drives, let alone our backups, it is a complex system that is reliant on individuals who might not be there in the event of uh, a major event. The groups now apply the right amount of pain, targeting critical systems and services that often can't wait for backups, trying to force the individuals responsible, but also more importantly, the entities pay up. This isn't to say that backups aren't important, they obviously are, um, they're just not a silver bullet, especially when the entity cannot wait to get these services up and running. A key aspect has been the targeting of these public sector entities by the Samsung um, creators. And they did this for several reasons. One, they knew there would be structural weaknesses. They knew that public sector entities would have a large internet-facing footprint. They knew that this would be relatively poorly updated due to the internal restraints and internal constraints that existed with their security team. They knew there would potentially be a lack of investment in keeping up to date with modern security techniques. And finally, they also knew that due to the various regulations, these public sector entities would be required to notify not only the state, but also affected citizens. And as a consequence, that would encourage them to either pay or deal with the incident very quickly. How can cyber insurance assist? So for us in the cyber insurance world, uh, we have seen ransomware evolve over the last five, six years as a key threat vector, but also a key reason for major claims. For us, it's a validation that cyber insurance acts as a response solution. One of the key concerns clients have, and especially public sector entities, is the initial response. The incidents occurred, how do they react to it? When Maersk had their incident with WannaCry, their entire global server system of over 57,000 servers was encrypted in seven and a half minutes. One of the key aspects of a good cyber insurance policy is providing entities with the 24-7 breach response team and assistance in their hour of need. So experienced forensic teams will be brought in to help assist the entity, to help you understand what's happened, what's occurred, but more importantly, to identify appropriate next steps. Experienced cyber extortion consultants will be brought in to identify the variant, work out who the perpetrators are, and potentially establish contact with them if the concept of negotiation is available to the entity. The other aspect is then dealing with the various stakeholders within a public sector ecosystem. And for us, that is, that is probably the most complex aspect of a public sector cyber incident. The large engagement with the public, the large engagement with higher state agencies or lower state agencies, depending where you are in the value chain. But I think for us, the key aspect of the cyber insurance is acting as a, a financial risk transfer, a budget protection. The concern that we see with our public sector clients is in the event of a major cyber event, as Atlanta saw, $2.7 million in direct costs, they're going to be having to spend money designated for other things, either emergency rainy day funds, which are designed to react to more natural disasters, or they're going to be having to apply to the legislature or other entities for emergency budget support. So for us, along with the breach response assistance, the experienced teams who will support you, it for us is the transfer of financial costs or the incident to an insurance market. Is cyber insurance expensive or complicated to attain? Cyber insurance has been written by uh, U.S. specialist cyber insurers since 1997, and in that time, premiums have dropped substantially over the years. However, for many public sector entities, I believe when they previously looked at cyber, would have been five, maybe ten years ago, they would have seemed expensive at the time. More importantly, in an age of tough budgets and focused review on, on spending, a new insurance program and policy has always been hard to achieve and hard to argue. 
The other aspect that hasn't supported clients in this period is that many insurers do not specialize in public sector entities. Um, or if they do, it is only in certain lines, cyber not being one of them. The cyber insurers have been predominantly focusing on the major private sector entities of healthcare, retail, higher education, or other avenues where there is a high level of personally identifiable information and a ready potential client base. Being presented with a public sector entity such as a city, county, municipality, therefore, presents them with underwriting challenges and problems, not only from a pricing standpoint, the various metrics are off, the underwriting model doesn't necessarily work, but also more importantly, from a wording and actually from a reaction basis. You'll find a lot of reference in the policies to subsidiary language, director language, acquisition, areas that aren't relevant to public sector entities. However, there's been an increased focus by a number of insurers in the last two to three years and specialist entities to really provide better solution to this. Not only as part of the underwriting process, understanding who the public sector entities are, what information they've already provided, but also providing solutions that work for those public sector entities. They understand how the state level tender processes must be run when it comes to selection of breach response teams. They understand how deductibles and retentions ought to work for a public sector entity rather than a large commercial enterprise, Fortune 50. So for us, it's been a very much a change, and we've seen a very large increase in the last, definitely last two years, in public sector entities seeing cyber insurance as a logical vehicle to purchase the insurance and to transfer this risk, and that we anticipate with the continual rise of major ransomware events more and more public sector entities will look to cyber insurance, not just for the financial transfer, but as commented earlier, especially the 24-7 breach response, the assistance in the event of a major incident, and then the removal of that cost from the entity's balance sheet. Thank you for tuning in to Prima's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Should you have any questions regarding this podcast or any podcast in the series, please email education at primacentral.org. To learn more about Prima's educational resources, please visit primacentral.org. Have a wonderful day.